It's Monday, July 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday. You too. Happy Monday. Good weekend. Yeah, not too bad. Got outside a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Nice yeah. weather. Can't complain. It was a little warm, but yeah, I mean, uh, a little jarring that it's like, wow, I think we've had seven straight days without rain. And of course, it rained last night, but I mean, we, <laughs> we were on a stretch there. It sounds like a this bit. week is going to get pretty hot yes. from what I was hearing. Yeah. That'll make up for Gotta it. Stay um, we have got, uh, we got a bunch of things to talk about. We've got some energy earnings, we've got some automotive news. We will dip into the full mailbag. Um, Taylor, we knew it was going to be a bad quarter mm-hmm. for. The energy companies and, I and they to, keep they keep proving it. I was going to they say they're not disappointing us <laughs> in that regard. And the latest is Cabot Oil and Gas uh, reporting a loss for the second quarter. Revenue came in lower than expected, and yet I mean this was not a good quarter for Cabot, mm-hmm. and yet the stock isn't really dropping like you would expect. Yeah, I think they had the advantage of not being first. So like I think some expectations are maybe baked a little bit. Cooler than they might have been. Um, you look at this company. The last three headlines: I, Fuel Fix is a kind of energy aggregator site run by the Houston Chronicle. And the last three headlines for Cabot's earnings in February: You had Cabot reports loss, will slow Marcellus and Eagle Ford drilling. April profit slips 62% amid lower oil prices. So this has been a, a theme of 2015 for this company and the industry as a whole. But the CEO, the quote that everyone's using from him is, better days are ahead for Cabot. Uh, I think that the whole industry feels that way, or at least <laughs> hopes that's true. Um, they're just looking to get an additional pipeline on at the beginning of next year um, that just got approved with Williams Partners to get some of their gas to New England and to New York. Um, distribution on the East Coast has been a problem for some companies over the last couple of years, but that's being addressed, it seems like. And um, obviously, if you're producing and can't get it to your customers at a reasonable price, you're, you're going to suffer with results that we saw this quarter. Um, and they're predominantly natural gas driven, and they realized a 38% lower price this quarter than last year. And you thought that natural gas, you know, you saw big drops in 2012, um, 2013, and then it kind of moderated a little bit, but it suffered right along with oil. So no one, either, no matter how diversified you are, you've been suffering over the last few months. Yeah, I mean, in Million Dollar Portfolio, we've, you know, looked at energy for a while now. It was a really attractive space because of all the deep discounts. And you know, it's prob- we probably were a little early in maybe getting into some of those investments like Halliburton. We opened a position, uh, you know, I was looking through their call just this this recent uh, release, and you know, see the CEO was was talking about. I'm paraphrasing here, but he was basically just talking about how you know tough of a down cycle this has been. That they don't know when it's going to shift. They are certain it will, um, and when it does, you know they feel really good about their position, having you know the ability to integrate that Baker Hughes acquisition, the scale that that will give that business. And so I think, you know, for for a lot of people out there looking at energy and thinking, wow, you know, this could be an attractive opportunity. I think yes, it is. Uh, just be be ready to be patient because that's you know that's that's the bottom line here is. Energy is cyclical. We know it'll turn. We just don't know when. And so, you know, it it definitely can go lower before it goes higher. But typically, when it goes higher, it's kind of like that coiled spring, and the market really uh, sort of renews its love affair for all these big energy companies when when the prices come back. But Halliburton is a behemoth, and Cabot is not. Cabot's not a small company. No, they're one of the larger. 
combined producers in the U.S. Market cap is around 11 billion, mm-hmm. and if you're looking at Cabot, is Cabot being acquired? To what extent should that be part of your thesis? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a solid company. So if somebody was going out there and they were searching for somebody that they didn't want to have to come in and completely overhaul, it, it seems like it might be a decent candidate, especially given their assets in the Marcellus um, and then the Eagle Ford for oil. Um, that's it's one of the better basins that you can go ahead and look at. So yeah, the assets are there. Um, the discount they're not selling off today, so maybe they maybe the market does feel like they are pretty well priced based on what's happening right now. Um, but I could I could see that happening if somebody does want to spend some money. This is a, a fairly well-run company that you wouldn't have to really go in and completely change things to to uh, extract value. If someone has thirteen billion dollars sitting yes. around in their checking account, somebody out there does. <laughs> Shares of Fiat Chrysler down this morning after the automaker was hit with a record one hundred five million dollar fine from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Um, a record fine. You never want to set that kind of record. <laughs> um, but we've seen fine uh, fines before. Um, but what we haven't seen before, Jason, I don't think, is the fact that now Fiat also must buy over a half million Ram pickup trucks built between 2008 and 2012 because of defective steering parts that can result in the loss of control. I don't think we've ever seen that before, have we? The whole, oh, and on top of this, you got to buy these trucks back. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's ever happened before or not. I guess uh, either way, I think you know the biggest problem with automakers today is that consumer can pretty much count on the fact that there's going to be you know one or more major recalls in, involved with the automobile, and and I mean that you know that's. That's just not acceptable. I mean, these things are really, really time-consuming. I mean, they they it 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 takes a lot away from the consumer. I mean, it, it's not easy just to say, okay, well, I have a recall now. I have to go into the auto shop and let them take care of whatever's going on because you've got everything else going on about your day. And and so you know, to to me, I, I feel like I look at a fine like this and I think, okay, well, yeah, that's a record fine. It's it's a civil fine. I mean, obviously, you could think about fines that. Were levied on Toyota for I think they were they were criminal related fines up mm-hmm. in the billions when they had the the acceleration issue. Um, you know I I don't think this fine is is I don't think it's going to hurt them at all. I mean it's one hundred five million dollars. They have twenty five billion dollars on their balance sheet. Yeah. So even if they have to buy back all those cars, it still doesn't matter. Now it it remains to be seen whether we see you know any class action litigation. Uh, or, or potentially any criminal fines that come of this, it certainly seems like the potential's there. In, uh, in you know, company like Fiat Chrysler, I mean, they 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 don't have necessarily the I I, w- I wouldn't call that the most powerful brand out there on the road today. I mean, I think you, you see Ford and and to a lesser degree uh, GM doing fairly well, but Toyota is obviously still the number one automaker out there. Um, you know, to me, I. I feel like you know if you look at this in the face of an Uber economy in five, ten years down the road, in areas where you can get away without having a car, things like this make it more and more attractive to not even deal with having a car mm-hmm. because of all of the costs associated with buying a car. It's not the cheapest purchase in the world. You can count on the fact that when you drive it off the lot, it's going to lose value immediately. And then you can also count on the fact that at some point in the next few years, you're going to have to drive it back over there to have some you know recall taken care of. And hoping uh, it's not life-threatening. Right. And, <laughs> like and in many cases, yeah. it sounds I mean, like they a lot, are. Of, a lot of recalls are just minor yeah. things, and they're required to tell you about it, and it's just like, ah. It's not worth the hassle for me to, you know, to take that in. But right. you know, obviously, if your brakes are problems with <laughs> steering that result in loss of control, 
Uh, you might want to check that out. And problems with the rise of the machines, Chris, right? right. We've seen how Jeep yes. now is being hacked, and this is a big problem. And, and I think this just lends itself to as technology advances and as cars become more and more computers with wheels. Uh, we talk about self-driving cars. I mean, all of these questions now come up as far as security and hackability. And, and you know, stories like this do not... Uh, you know, make the consumer feel any better about going over to a, a Fiat or a Chrysler uh, dealership and, and buying one of those cars. And it's not to say that they're the only ones subject to this. I mean, this is something that I think is going to become a, a bigger issue as, as time goes on. There's also a big deal in healthcare today. Teva Pharmaceutical buying Allergan's generic drug unit for $40 billion in cash and stock. Uh, we're not going to be talking about that today, but the good news <laughs> Psych. is... Um, <laughs> Industry Focus, which is another daily podcast here from The Motley Fool, uh, Michael Douglas and Todd Campbell will be talking about that on Wednesday. So, if you haven't checked out Industry Focus, now would be a good time. Radio at Fool.com is our email address. Question from Dan Sifford in Omaha, Nebraska. Love the podcast. What's your opinion of Black Hills Corp? They're an electric and gas company that covers parts of Nebraska, South Dakota, Iowa, Kansas, Colorado, and Wyoming. They are in the beginning stages of building a new corporate headquarters in Rapid City, South Dakota, that will bring three to four offices into one. They're also waiting for uh, regulatory approval for the purchase of source gas from General Electric. The stock has a 3.5% yield, and it grows its dividend every year. Uh, All of that, particularly the part at the end, sounds pretty good, Taylor. Um, I I would hasten to point out, however, that this is a stock that's down about 27% over the last 12 months. It has underperformed pretty significantly, uh, even with that dividend attached to it. Um, Not knowing a whole heck of a lot about this company, um, just generally... Really more of a utility than sort of what we think of as, as traditional energy gas. It is, yeah, but they're trying to produce their own oil and their own gas, which throws a whole nother, uh bit of confusion into the mix when you talk about utilities that can be confusing businesses on their own as already, especially dealing with as many states as this company is. Um, I also worry about their geography based in a lot of the areas that they are heavily reliant on the oil and gas industry to, to use a lot of that power and people moving there for these jobs that are now drying up. So maybe they lose some customers, but um, they they do have a great balance sheet. Uh, they mentioned that they have been paying a dividend. Uh, it, I think the question was that they do increase their dividend every year, but you can't ever guarantee that. But it has been a pretty consistent track record. Um, I just, you know, from an investing standpoint, utilities just seem to be too confusing for me to really pay attention, especially when you talk about still waiting for regulatory approval for a lot of these things that are going on with the company. Um, but just at a quick glance, yeah, it seems to be well run, and um, but I do worry about the geography that they're in and and trying to expand oil and gas production and owning a coal mine. They all aren't great businesses right now. Yeah, I mean, I think back to what you said about sort of the coiled spring, and I think that if you're, you know, whether it's Black Hills or really any energy producer at this point, it, it, you're in. Uh, I would totally understand any investor. Who is looking at this space and feeling a little bit like it's a catch twenty two, where, you know, you you want to try and get in at a cheaper price, um, you you want to you want to get in at the bottom, but of course nobody knows exactly when the mm-hmm. bottom is coming, and so then it's equipped to you know to your point that you made earlier, Jason, to, you really have to be almost more patient. Than you you typically are with it you know with this industry just because yeah it's cyclical it's going to bounce back at some point but 
you may be you may be looking at Black Hills or any other energy producer and thinking, oh, okay, well, I, the turnaround's got to come soon, and and it might not be for another year or two. And it can do a darn good job of tricking you too. You look at Halliburton, like Jason mentioned, the stock came back a little bit this year, and it's it sold right back off to its lows of the last several months. So um, you think, hey, you know, Halliburton's up twelve percent since its low, and then all of a sudden it's back down to that low within just a couple months. So um, you. you you just can't ever really predict it. So maybe add to some strong companies over time, hoping that at least one of those buying opportunities was the bottom. Yeah, I mean, I think utilities too, because I mean, this is primarily a utility. I don't primarily, know if they make their yeah. money any other way, but it looks like majority of their money is made as a utility. When you look at a utility's, uh, you know, income statement, you'll see the, the top line sales growth is, is typically going to be very, very slight. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not there. There really isn't a whole heck of a lot of growth there because they're just more or less serving the same consistent customer base, unless they're growing via acquisition or something. And they're generally regulated so that they right. can't increase pricing. Exactly. So they're they're stuck level. on that pricing side. They can maintain a balance sheet with tremendous amount of debt because mm-hmm. you know they're regulated and they have the ability to do that. Uh, so then you look at it. Basically, it's an income play, right? And right. you're thinking, well, they yield about four percent today. It looks like, and and you know, can they afford that dividend? You know, looking at their income statement, it looks like the payout ratio is somewhere in the neighborhood of fifty to sixty percent usually. So that means they can. So I mean, I think with utilities, you look at the you just you, you look at it. It is what it is, as they say, right? And it's going to be. It's just always going to be that way. Um, I to me with utilities, I typically I'm going to look for something as big as possible mm-hmm. because that just gives you, I, I think, your best opportunity at pulling in you know a better a better. Uh, dividend over time, and and see you know you probably see that dividend grow as well. Question from Matt Riley, who writes: I heard you mention you weren't super hot on Bojangles stock. I was wondering <laughs> if you could elaborate what it is about the stock that you didn't like, because to me it seems like an attractive buy. Uh, it certainly is trading lower these days. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> so. let me let me clear let me be clear. I'm super hot on their Cajun chicken biscuit. Yes, and their seasoned fries, dirty fries. I think they call them right now. I, I, Bojangles is one of those. Situations for me, at least, where I mean, I, I like the food a lot more than the stock, and I, you know, so far this year that's worked out okay. Shares are down about twenty six percent this year, and you know, I, I think the biggest concern I had initially, beyond the fact that just restaurants are are just really tricky. Um, I mean, I think restaurants are very much like retail in a lot of ways. I mean, they are retail in a sense, but I mean. Uh, you know, like those those apparel companies that you know one one year they can be in, and the next year you know something new comes along, and I, I guess I was just I'm I'm still concerned with the market opportunity they they see. I mean, they see you know the ability to have around 3,500 stores in the U.S. total off of a base of somewhere in the neighborhood of 650 or so today. I mean, I, I you know, maybe that works out for them. I mean, maybe it doesn't. I, I think the market's you know probably questioning that right now. And uh, because it's a very regional concept, right? I mean, I think you know we love it in, in the South, but I don't know how well that does in the Midwest or in California or anything else like that. And then you know the IPO to me, I mean, the money, none of the money went to the company. I mean, the money just went to the shareholders that took the company public, which I just thought kind of sucked. I mean, typically when a company IPOs, you want to raise money to grow the business, and that wasn't the case here. Uh, and then you know, yeah, it's that is one of those things. You, I, I think. You always want to look at that. You always want to ask that question anytime a company is going public. Right. One of the questions beyond sort of what is the market opportunity and and all the normal checklist things you go through when you're thinking about am I going to become a part owner of this mm-hmm. business? 
one of the questions you need to add to that list is, what are you guys doing with the money? Yeah, because because I mean, in staying some cases, or is it going? Yeah, because yeah, in some cases it's. Oh my gosh, we have all this debt. We have got to get rid of this debt, and we're using an IPO to raise the money to pay down the debt. It's like, well, a, a container store. Contain, yeah. yeah. And so it's like, well, it's nice that you're looking to pay down the debt, but that is not the healthiest thing I like to see when I'm looking at a company going yeah. public. Right. I buy shares to then basically, it's just the you know the people buying the shares in the IPO are are the ones you know paying down the debt. And so I mean you. You know, you you can make your decision as to whether that's something you want to do, and and I would encourage anyone and everyone out there. You know, the, all of this information is readily available, and the company puts out what's called an S one, which is the prospectus form for an IPO, and so you can find that if you go to Edgar, uh, just Google Edgar, and and it'll take you to the the site where you can find all sorts of SEC filings, um, and it's just it's riveting reading, obviously, Chris. I'm sure everybody <laughs> wants to get out there right now. People are probably frantically typing into their into their phones and and. But the name as exciting as Edgar, you yeah. Just have to, yeah. <laughs> But you know, I mean, it's you, not. You to just say, alienated the one guy named <laughs> Sorry, Edgar who listens to this podcast. It's not to say I would never be interested in Bojangles as an investment. For me, I mean, it would really come down to number one: seeing a couple of quarters, seeing how this management team reports and deals with with life as a public company, and and then for me, it, it is really you know going to be a valuation thing. It's trading around thirty times full year estimates right now, uh, which is. I, I think probably a little bit optimistic given given you know what we've seen thus far, but uh, you know it's 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 one that I've I've kept sort of some interest in. I, I watch it from the sidelines just to see how they're doing. Well, and it's also I mean in the case of Bojangles, and we've seen this with other uh, food concepts as well, Dunkin' Brands being one of them. It's it's always nice when you're looking at a stock when management basically. Provides the blueprint for how they are going to be measuring their own success. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Bojangles, it's this is how many restaurants we got now. This is what our target is, and then you get to sit back a little bit and say, okay, well, let's see how this goes over the next six months. Are you actually opening new restaurants? How does that net out against restaurants that you're closing? Because let's face it, when you have 600 restaurants. Not all of them are doing well. No. You have to be looking at some of them and saying, those aren't performing so well. So it's not just a question of, oh, we opened 40 new restaurants over the past two quarters. It's like, oh, yeah, and we also closed 29. Yeah. Or it's like, okay, so you're net 11 new restaurants. Yeah, and it may not be the healthiest menu in the world either. No, I mean, may deep not. fried chicken. And I was going to say, <laughs> it is not. I the think healthiest. a lot of people are starting to think a little bit more about what they're eating and. The numbers you said sounds like they're trying to grow five x the store count. Uh, it sounds that. like that over yeah over the course of yeah. you know the next ten to twenty years. I'm never one to disparage Bojangles, but I don't see that happening. Yeah, I, just, I mean I, gravy and biscuits. I, I'm a fan of, but I don't think you can sell that everywhere in the country. No, I don't. I I, I tend to agree. I, I I just think it's limited as far as uh, you know region. You're saying your own consumption of Bojangles food is not going to be 5x over the next 10 years? No. We if you went back to my, I have some tough comps from high school, all right? <laughs> we can't extrapolate our tastes you know, to the entire country. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 